Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I want to talk um, about the reactions that Western intellectuals had to Mao's seizure of power in China in 1949. Now, if you've uh, been a fan of this podcast for a while, you'll know that uh, a long time ago I did a podcast on the fellow traveller movement in uh, Britain, America and Europe during the 1930s. And these were non-communist Western intellectuals who had deep sympathy with Soviet Russia and the uh, development of industrialisation there under Stalin's five-year plans. The uh, fellow traveller movement uh, continued after the Second World War. And the next great experiment that they were able to uh, be in awe of was um, communist China. The same attitudes seemed to materialise, a kind of a willful ignorance about the violent crimes of the regime and the uh, wanton destruction of the regime, and a, um, a desire to go far beyond the call of duty to justify and mitigate the regime's crimes. Um, there was a, uh, a belief in both the, uh, the, the admiration for the Soviet Union and the admiration for Mao's China that something profound and transformative was happening. And in both instances, this um, projection onto um, Soviet Russia and Maoist China was a way of Western intellectuals talking about deep frustrations they had with their own societies. But in no instance did they really want to see Um, Stalinism or Maoism replicated in, say, Great Britain or the United States. They felt this was um, adequate for Russians or Chinese and perhaps some of the principles of uh, mass state action uh, could be applied, but really that there was was no need to bring the the entire Maoist or Stalinist programme. Not that this would ever have happened anyway. So the book to read on this subject, if it's something that fascinates you, is David Coates' um, The Fellow Travellers. Um, Coates writes a very stinging account, uh, it's actually quite amusing in certain parts, but a very stinging account of the um, uh, actions of um, Westerners, particularly um, towards China. Um, he, he speaks about Simone de Beauvoir 
um, the French uh, intellectual and um, uh, lover of um, Jean-Paul Sartre, um, and talks about how um, she was entirely convinced in 1955, um, after a six-week journey to China, um, that the uh, Maoist project was um, really, really, um, uh, really, really benefiting the country. Now, if you read Frank Dakota's The Tragedy of Liberation, he says that by about 1957, something like about five million Chinese had already died as a result of the introduction of Mao's policies through violence and famine. Um, the um, figure that had been um, uh, quoted quite openly by Chu and Lai um, had been that 830,000 enemies of the people um, had been um, had, had been destroyed, he put it, uh, during land confiscation, mass trials and the roundup of landlords and the destruction of the old Kuomintang supporters, the Chinese nationalists. Um, and the... Um, uh, de Beauvoir doesn't even didn't even really believe these statistics. She thought a, a kind of a more realistic statistic um, was that of six hundred thousand, and this was in her view okay. The way she rationalised this is she said that uh, well she she assumed she felt sure she um, was uh, certain of the fact that uh, there had been fair trials. Um, and that these were just political prisoners. Now, the fact that she um, justifies this as them being just political prisoners tells you an awful lot about where the the, the radical left intelligentsia was in the 1950s, uh, particularly as exemplified by Simone de Beauvoir, that, that 600,000, the destruction, which obviously we must mean death, of 600,000 political prisoners is essentially a benign thing, um, given the bigger historical picture that Simone de Beauvoir is considering here. Um, if it were 600,000 ordinary peasants, that might be perhaps bad. But 600,000 political prisoners, well, um, any revolutionary at the time might argue that in order for the, the future to be made, sacrifices of enemy classes and enemy political parties needed to occur. Um, and... The, the this shows that the, the the kind of the Hegelian and utopian ideas, uh, this eschatological notion that we're on these this upward path towards utopia, uh, but unfortunately, as Hegel pointed out, this path is very bloody indeed. The, the necessary and unpleasant business of history was being done in China. Um, the um, uh, de Beauvoir said that, in her view, no citizen of China was being bothered on account of his opinions. Code points out that um, the next intellectual to give Xu Enlai uh, the benefit of the doubt um, was Edgar Snow, um, the um, American intellectual and writer who um, had advocated Chinese communism throughout the Second World War. And he said that uh, destruction might not necessarily imply physical liquidation. It could mean, not, doesn't necessarily have to mean murder. But he also said that this was a, a very small percentage of the country. Um, he worked it out as being 14 people in every million. Uh, I'm not sure of the maths there, but perhaps somebody out there with a calculator can write in. Um, and he said, well, this was OK in a way. It's understandable and justifiable if it means um, the end to a very bloody civil war in which millions had already died. 
Um, and this might it might mean that really uh, former Kuomintang soldiers who were really just bandits in uniform in his view could be um, uh, mopped up um, and um, got rid of. Um, and the um, and, and this was all done in his view quite judicially. Um, the a, a judge had uh, told Snow that the death sentence was only imposed when a culprit's action had caused the death of a citizen. But that, of course, is, is, is a fantasy, and there were no um, statistics to, to show that. So let's look very briefly at some of uh, the, the, the stories of some of these intellectuals, and perhaps we can draw out of that some of their, their motivations. Because it's very easy to um, look at the, the absurd, look at absurd ideas that, in, to us, looking through 21st century ideas, appear to, to, be, to be ludicrous. But without examining them in a the context, we can actually develop a misleading picture of our, of our own. So let's not do that. Snow uh, was from Missouri, and he had made it to China in 1927, um, the year of the Kuomintang's massacre of the Chinese communists in Shanghai. After the Great Northern Expedition against the warlords, um, it was time in the uh, eyes of Chiang Kai-shek to turn on the communists as he saw them as the, the great peril to China, particularly with their links to the Soviet Union. And this was stuff that um, Snow was all fairly sympathetic towards. Um, he, throughout the um, early 1930s, drifts towards the left, and in 1936... Following the uh, successful conclusion, I say successful, only 8% of Mao's forces ever made it at the end of the Long March, but after the conclusion of the Long March, he manages um, to make it to Yunnan to uh, actually uh, meet Mao himself in the uh, Chinese Soviet Republic. And it's perhaps these experiences, uh, understandably, that forged Snow's rather uncritical world view. The Long March, whilst Snow didn't see it firsthand, had really captured his imagination. And he wrote about the adventure, exploration, discovery, human courage and cowardice, ecstasy and triumph, suffering, sacrifice and loyalty, and then through it all like a flame and amazing revolutionary optimism. It was the romance of revolution that he was fascinated with. Uh, and and um, I think that there is an awful lot of this uh, when, you, when you look at um, Western intellectuals and the communist world, uh, they don't experience, you know, the, the horror and bloodshed of revolutions in their own countries. Instead, what they do is they vicariously almost enjoy the, the passions of revolution and the, the adventure of revolution as they see it. And also the exciting endeavour, as they see it, of state building, of industrialization, of five-year plans, of motivating the entire population to act as one. But what they don't see in all these situations are those who lose out. Um, they don't see in China and in uh, the Soviet Union the appalling levels of human misery um, that are generated by these massive, massive transformations, economic and, and social transformations, and the violence that has to go with it in order to make it happen. The fact that Chiang Kai-shek formed an alliance with the communists in the later 1930s to counter the threat of Japan, gave Snow an opportunity to cross from uh, nationalist into communist territory. Um, and the, um, there would have been almost no chance of, re um, of reaching Mao 
otherwise. One of the interesting things about Snow is that he's passionate about communism in China, and he really did understand China. Uh, a great many of the fellow travellers who um, experienced China knew nothing about the country. Um, there were a great many that knew relatively little about Russia, but China is far further culturally and geographically removed from them. Um, he's actually had a great deal of antipathy towards Soviet communism, and um, he was also um, very dubious about the uh, Communist Party of the USA, um, which really um, means that his, his focus is on the, the, the economic and social realities of China itself. And he finally returns to um, Beijing uh, four months uh, after his uh, arrival. He gets back in October 1936. The book that he writes, Red Star Over China, um, is finally um, published in Britain uh, by Victor Glanz of the Left Book Club. Um, and it was one of their most popular editions. The Left. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Book Club itself was the, this means... Uh, of uh, explaining um, contemporary uh, issues from a, a democratic left perspective to a large audience in Great Britain through uh, cheap paperbacks. Um, and it's, it was extremely successful throughout the 1930s, with uh, Red Star Over China being one of their, their, their best uh, bestsellers. And, and what the book does is it, uh, much like Sidney and Beatrice Webb's Soviet Communism and New Civilization, it captures the imagination, once again, of those on the left that are um, curious uh, about uh, events around the world and curious about um, the, the development of, of the possible development of socialist societies. Another American journalist um, the following year had spent um, months with the uh, Chinese uh, communists and the Red Army was Agnes Smedley who, after spending time um, with them in, in immense hardship and often danger, um, was a, a, a passionate convert. And she wrote, 
The strength of this army, and of the communists who lead it, has never been in military force, but chiefly in its intimate, organic connection with the people. Now, a while back, when I did a podcast on um, the American journalist John Reed and the uh, British journalist Arthur Ransom, both of whom had um, communist sympathies during the uh, the Russian Civil War, one of the things that seemed to really um, bring them over to a uh, passion for the communists was the way in which the soldiers were treated. Um, the Red Army soldiers appeared to be uh, more uh, treated better um, in the eyes of um, both Reed and Ransom, though I doubt it, to be honest with you, um, than they had been under the Tsar's army. They, um, there was a, a sense that um, these were men who were, who's, um, who, who were uh, cared about and that um, the uh, Tsarist army... Um, fell apart really because the soldiers were being used as cannon fodder. Now none of these things I think are, are factually valid but it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what people like Arthur Reed, uh, Arthur Ransom and John Reed thought at the time. And in this case um, people like Smedley for example um, could see that within red areas, within communist areas there seemed to be some kind of efforts towards raising the conditions of the peasants and the peasant soldiers um, how effective those efforts were, and the extent to which there were no efforts in the nationalist in nationalist areas, I don't know. And I would imagine that a fairly selective version of things emerged. Um, whether we look to people like Agnes Smedley to be objective reporters of the past, I don't know. Probably not. Um, and they are inevitably going to come up with biased and partial visions of things. And I, I think the, the the question here really is how these these um, uh, visions emerge and why they remain so consistent when they are confronted with huge evidence uh, later on as to the horrific crimes of the people that they're advocates for. And it's in these primary, primary, very personal and actually extremely emotional experiences. They're not based on a great deal of objectivity, they're based on a great deal of emotion um, for uh, the side that they are they're rooting for. They see... Um, what they view as solidarity and a an attempt to raise the condition of the poor, and and, it's, and, and they like it. It appeals to them. It's, it it touches a natural human part in all of us. But also, they become very taken with the romance of it all. Following the um, fall of China to communism, um, the subsequent Korean War. Um, Snow was unable to make it back to China until 1960. The U.S. State Department blocked his visa, and so did the uh, the Chinese government, fearing um, paranoid about espionage. Um, but he was immensely impressed with what he saw. He said, um, "Are not all the popular elections an irrelevant facade? Um, the answer must be that they are not." Um, and so he was willing, much like Sidney and Beatrice Webb were, to uh, convey without a great deal of evidence. Uh, confer actually without a great deal of evidence onto China, just as the Webbs had done with um, Soviet Russia, um, the uh, veneer of uh, democratic legitimacy. And from the UK, um, the socialist Basil Davidson um, also chimed in with his his praise for uh, for for China. Um, Davidson had been part of the Britain-China Friendship Association, which was formed in 1949 um, to uh, transmit 
um, sympathetic ideas about China to Britain, largely um, organised by the Communist Party of Great Britain. And the British-China Friendship Association actually becomes far more important after 1960 and the development of the Sino-Soviet split. The uh, Davidson wrote that um, the People's Democratic Dictatorship had nothing in common with Hitler or Mussolini. This was a progressive dictatorship in, in his view, and that the uh, the middle classes were going to be, he said, intellectually remoulded through self-criticism, if he had any understanding, perhaps, of the, uh, the torture um, that self-criticism um, involved. Um, hours and hours and hours of endlessly confessing imaginary crimes to uh, a large audience of people who are being extremely hostile. Um, and you can read again more about this in uh, Frank Dakota's uh, The Tragedy of Liberation. Um, he might have not been so cavalier uh, about it. Um, the, um, it's interesting that he winds up in conversation with a, a former bourgeois Chinese travel guide who said, I still have selfish thoughts. Now, the one of the kind of the interesting parallel features of Soviet communism and Maoism was there was this endless attempt to penetrate internal thoughts to make all thinking collective um, about the um, and uh, anti-bourgeois, um, therefore thoughts about you know wanting to eat, wanting to feel protected or safe or loved, or wanting to enjoy some kind of comfort. These were bourgeois, selfish thoughts, and only selfless thoughts were permissible, which is, is kind of pretty, pretty impossible for a human being to achieve. The role, therefore, of individuals in uh, Maoist China and in um, Soviet Russia was ideally, and though this doesn't really work out in most cases, to be the policeman of the self. Basil Davidson came to some extraordinary conclusions about China. He said that there was essentially no need for striking because there was a society uh, in harmony with itself, spiritual unity and, and harmony. Um, because communism was, of course, um, about unselfishness in his idea, in his view. Similarly, Davidson was impressed by um, the intellectual freedom that he found. He said, most of the intellectuals you meet are manifestly at their ease, full of projects for the future and unobsessed by fear of sudden sanctions or some or, or some uh, shadow-like terror in the background. Um, again, you know, most documentary evidence would strongly suggest this is manifestly not the case. Go back if you need to and listen to the 100 Flowers campaign podcast that I did, uh, I think last year sometime, and that'll give you a, a picture of, of um, terror against intellectuals. Davidson was taken to see a, uh, a range of um, uh, model villages, factories and schools, um, and there were obviously reliable guides and translators to, to show him around. Much as the webs and other fellow travellers had been taken around on the Grand Tour in Russia in the 1930s. But Simone de Beauvoir particularly fell for it. She was taken to see a prison and this was a prison where um, a real performance is put on for her, where former sinful bourgeois types are rehabilitated into good Chinese proletarians. And she said uh, she believed um, it was not a model prison. She thought this wasn't a, a performance, this was standard stuff. 
It was simply the only one in the city area, and for that matter, in the province. And all central prisons are the same in China. Um, a, a, a extreme assumption. Um, the, um, the prison that she visited had no locks on any doors, study programmes, uh, vases with flowers, a hospital. Um, and, the, uh, and it was really um, almost a, a movie set that she'd been taken to. It was referred to as prison number one and was a standard part of the tour for Western visitors. And Davidson had visited it too. Um, Simone de Beauvoir was very keen on finding out about the status of women in China. Um, the Marriage Act in 1950 had made uh, a big difference to women. Um, child marriage, arranged marriages, and infanticide had been, uh, if not uh, eradicated, then certainly outlawed. Um, and she um, was angry at Western propaganda that presented Chinese communism as an enemy of family life. Um, she believed that a, a kind of a moderate revolution had taken place in China, if anything, and that um, the um, uh, instead of family life being um, destroyed, um, the the kind of the iniquities of, of, of bourgeois life had gone, and that uh, a inequality and a civility had developed in place. Um, she said that there was a stirring and reasonable revolution. Um, and in Beijing, nobody is arrogant, nobody is grabby, and nobody feels himself above or below anybody else. Um, so the, it was a similar picture to what was seen during, um, uh, during visits by the, in the 1930s to, to Soviet Russia. Now, I, I don't want to go on and talk about the Cultural Revolution in this podcast because it'll, it'll take a, a heck of a long time, but I, it's something I'm, I hope to return to because ideas about the, tra- the, um, the cultural revolution, when they are transmitted to Western audiences, they have a far more profound effect. You actually find Western uh, intellectuals um, engaging with um, ideas about the cultural revolution during the uh, revolutionary upheavals in Europe, particularly in France, in 1968. But that, as they say, is another story. Okay, well, I hope you found that useful. Um, If you're teaching at the moment and you're looking for new inspirational ideas and handy stuff to do with your pupils and free resources, go to my new site, www.outstandinghistory.com forward slash instant dash access. And I'll place the the, uh, web address underneath this podcast. All the best. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 